Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. We have such an interesting topic that is top of mind for everybody who works, who owns a company, runs a company, has a job, wants a job, is in the gig economy. Listen up. So I have a quote here from Gartner.com. This is interesting, and this will introduce our topic. Building critical skills and competencies continues to top the list of priorities for HR leaders in 2021. Also on the radar, organizational design and change and leadership. None of these goals is new to HR leaders, but all have been made more urgent by, you know what I'm going to say, the effects of COVID-19. So here we are, 2020, thank goodness, is behind us. 21 is actually starting to look pretty good. Let me give you a little more background on our topic, and then I will introduce my three esteemed HR leaders today. So while accelerating the need for digital transformation, the new business environment, that's what we're in, is creating immediate and large-scale challenges for the workforce and for their skills to prepare for next. And I'm not saying the next, prepare for next. It's an interesting way of looking at it. You'll hear more about it today. HR leaders need to balance growth and efficiency. They need to deliver value now while creating a future agenda. That's a lot on their plate. They have to combine smarter people strategies with emerging, and I call them disruptive technologies, because some of what we call emerging, it's been, they've been around for years, and a connected human experience to deliver a transformation that is built to last. Aha. So let's look at HR Cloud. It was never meant to be the full answer. Technology can provide the foundations to modernize HR, but it's only as good as the leaders who identify the opportunities the technologists, I like that word, who deliver it, and the people who work with it every single day. When you tap into each of your employees' everyday experiences, and now I'm taking the perspective of people in the HR leadership, HR roles, to motivate, guide, and reward them in real time, you have to keep their priorities aligned with the corporate goals. And then guess what? Everybody wins, the company and the people. I have Greg Selke here with me, Hope Bailey, and Cyrus Salazar. They'll tell you a little bit about themselves, their companies, what they do, and what their take is on this topic. And the topic officially is HR transformation. Modernize HR, prepare for next. Again, Bonnie in the house. Here we go. Let's go around the table. We're here on Zoom. Now, Greg Selke, you're up first. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, thrilled to be here. Um, my name is Greg Selke. I'm a vice president and HXM value advisor at SAP SuccessFactors. I've been here nine years. And uh, what I do is work with our customers on their transformation and journey into the HR cloud. So that includes things like thought leadership, business cases, ROI, et cetera, et cetera. Um, prior to joining SAP SuccessFactors, I've been in the corporate HR world forever, uh, with over 25 years of experience at Roche Diagnostics, uh, Aon Hewitt, and Baker and McKinsey. Um, my background in um, the university setting is all market research, and I have lots of passion around um, not only HXM, which I'm involved with now, but also diversity and inclusion, uh, global and international HR, and mergers and acquisitions, and happy to be here. 
Thank you very much. We're happy to have you here. Looking forward to your expertise and your POV, your point of view. Let's move around the virtual table to Hope Bailey. Hope, please introduce yourself to our audience. Good morning, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Hope Bailey. Over the course of my career, I think I've had the opportunity to sit in all of the chairs around the round table. So I started off my career in IT, growing into HR, ultimately becoming a chief HR officer. And I used technology to change my business. As I trans- transformed myself and moved over from the business into the word world of system implementation, first as a CHRO for one of the SAP system integrators, and then as a chief customer officer, helping folks like myself make their own transition. Now I have the pleasure of leading global pre-sales here at SAP and really helping craft the solutions that will allow our customers to make their transformations a reality. Uh, what I love about HR transformation and this topic we're talking about today is growth and change is at the heart of who we are. And so I, I've looked at my own career that way, and I hope to continue to help myself and all those around me evolve. Thank you very much, Hope. Pleasure to have you on board. Thank you for joining us. And let's go to panelist number three. They're all panelists number one. Come on. Everybody is important on this one. We're going to go around and around the table with <laughs> statements, discussion statements, agree and disagree. You all get to be number one. Cyrus Salazar. So happy to welcome you. Please do me the honor yeah. of introducing yourself. Thank you, Bonnie. So I'm Cyrus Salazar, director at PwC. Uh, prior to PwC, I've been uh, at Deloitte Consulting. So combined about 22 plus years doing consulting work. I've pretty much do, done consulting throughout. Uh, do a lot of uh, technology transformation through ERP. I've led engagements, uh, project management, doing solution architecting, um, mostly focusing around functional process redesign, You know, doing some uh, uh, risk assessment, vision strategy development, process transformation, anything around HR. So uh, glad to be here, um, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Interesting panel, and let's all do a shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP and Susan Walker for sponsoring the show. And we also have Lisa Chalmers on board. She's with us on the phone as usual, listening in. And I think she's going to take notes because we're all going to learn a lot from all of you. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to select a quote from a movie a song, a TV show. And thanks to Hope, we've expanded that list to TV commercials. And you'll hear the one she has selected. (laughs) They've picked a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And they're going to explain in their own words how they think it does. So let's start off with a quote from Greg Selke has picked a quote from John Keating, Professor John Keating, played by the late, very great, who left us way too soon, Robin Williams, in the movie Dead Poets Society, 1989, American teen drama film. I'm so intrigued when they call it a teen drama, Greg, because it seemed to have such a larger implication in the movie. It was set in 1959. Picture this, 1959, a fictional elite conservative Vermont boarding school, the Welton Academy. The story of an English teacher, played by Robin Williams, which was an interesting role for him, being mostly known as a comedian, who inspires his students through his teaching of poetry using unorthodox methods. I'll just stop there. Here is the quote from John Keating. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, you must try. Greg, help me out. How does this have to do with our topic? <laughs> Thank you. Great setup. So, you know, it is an older movie, and at, the movie came out um, when I was early in my HR career. It was my, like my first or second job in, in human resources. 
And I have to tell you, it, it changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, if, for those of you who have seen the movie, if you remember, Robin Williams asked the students to actually one at a time come up to the front of the room and stand on the desk and look back at the classroom. And they were reluctant, like, well, I'm not standing on the desk. Why would I want to do that? And after they did it, the point was, or at least the point I took from it, was there are at least two sides to every story. Um, And that has carried me through so many situations. And, you know, that movie inspired me actually to join a couple of creativity associations and learn about lateral thinking and innovation techniques and lots of cool stuff that's helped me in my career. And I guess the takeaway for me from that quote is, um, every day I try to see things from at least two sides, um, if not more. Um, at least I try. It, it's helping me be more open-minded and flexible, but sometimes it's hard to do that. But it's a great, great quote, great movie. It is. Thank you. And Greg, do you think that should be a quote that should be printed on the wall or on the, on the screen, the background for everybody who is in the HR profession today? What do you think? I think that would be, abs- other than when it comes to compliance and legal matters, <laughs> there's probably only one solution there, but everything else, absolutely. Touche, <laughs> trying to see both sides, front of the room, back. And thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's go to Hope's quote. This is a long one. I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing, Hope. Is that okay with you? And this comes from a 1997 ad. I think we all remember it very well. It was Think Different by Apple Incorporated. And it's a Think Different ad that featured black and white footage of 17 iconic 20th century personalities in this order. Albert Einstein, Bob Dylan, Martin Luther King Jr., Richard Branson, John Lennon, with Yoko Ono, of course, Buckminster Fuller, Bucky Fuller, Thomas Edison, Muhammad Ali, Ted Turner, Maria Callas, opera singer Mahatma Gandhi, Amelia Earhart, lost pilot, Alfred Hitchcock, Martha Graham, the dancer, Jim Henson with Kermit the Frog, Frank Lord Wright, the architect, and Pablo Picasso. And here is the quote. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the one who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have to have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Hope, I hope I did justice to that. Please, How'd you find this one? Go ahead. Well, first, thank you, Bonnie, for having me and allowing me to use a commercial quote. As you guys can tell, I'm one of those troublemakers they like to speak of who aren't fond of the rules. Um, This quote speaks passionately to what I believe in um, as a lifelong Apple lover, if if I'm allowed to say that. You you know, it's always resonated with me. You cannot create change by doing the same things or by asking permission. You can't transform how you operate simply by lifting what I do today and putting it in a new system or under a new leader. We must truly think about work differently. The experience we create around work, how hard we make things, Um, you know, from when I was a CHRO to now helping customers craft their future, I think about this all the time. It's so often we create the problems, we create the hard. So when I see ideas shot down or hear, well, we've already tried that. 
that's where I want to listen because those are the people that are likely to propel the change. The, the people who are still willing to put the idea out there. Not the one saying, oh, we did that before, but, but the one who's willing to, to keep trying and keep putting the ideas out there. Um, the move to the digital world, it's got to delayer. It has to empower. It has to engage us. We have to make work frictionless. Uh, you know, we live in a pandemic world, right? I used to be on an airplane 50 weeks a year. Now I'm at home. And trust me, my kids do not appreciate the endless phone calls. <laughs> um, but by making work easier through video conference, the ability for Zoom to give me sound suppression so you don't hear the dogs bark, right? We have to find our own ways to, to transform ourselves as individuals, but also our organization. So this quote has always spoken to me and, and everything I do, and, and it's who I aspire to be. Thank you very much, Hope, and uh, we hope your, your children have gotten used to the phone calls by now. Hope, I want to read you a quote I found from Steve Jobs, not for the show, yeah. but for something, a speech, a talk I'm giving later today. I think you'll appreci- all of you appreciate this. Uh, and In addition to what Greg just shared, Cyrus, I'll get to your quote in a second, but the quote is, when you ask creative people how they did something, they feel a little guilty because they didn't really do it. They just saw something. It seemed obvious. They connect experiences they've had and synthesize new things. You like that one? I love that. Yep. I found that. I was researching a talk. I'm considered an early woman in tech, and I'm going to be a featured speaker on a, an International Women's Day event this afternoon for the Women in Big Data organization, and I found that quote. So I thought you'd get a kick out of it. Thank you for indulging that. Cyrus Salazar, let's see what you've sent us. This is a wonderful quote from the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, and it was spelled H-A-P-P-Y-N-E-S-S. It's a 2006 American biographical drama film. Chris Gardner, played by Will Smith talking to Christopher Gardner Jr., played by his real son, Jaden Smith. And the screenplay is based on the best-selling memoir of the same name written by Gardner. Let's just go. It was about his one-year struggle, nearly one year, being homeless. And here is the quote. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something, not even me, all right? You got to dream. You got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. If you want something, go get it, period. I watched the clip. I I don't do a good Will Smith, but it was really great. Cyrus, how'd you find this one? Talk to me. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I think the uh, the quote here. What's what's important in this message is if you want something, go get it. Period. Right. It's it's not just in terms of happiness, but it's also in terms of change. Right. Pursuit of change for you as an organization to actually pursue change. You need to be a change agent, right? You have mm-hmm. to go get it. You can't be a passenger. Um, I think organizations, especially in terms of this COVID, the way you reacted, responded, and recovered, you need to be the change agent and not a passenger in this in this environment. Thank you. Not a passenger. Very, very interesting. I like that comment. It was a very dramatic movie. I didn't see it, but I've seen clips from it, and I saw the ads from it. Interesting that he was talking to his son, and he was talking to his son, real real and on the screen. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time all three of you put into selecting your quotes and sharing them with us. I always feel elevated hearing what's important to other people through our culture. 
through everybody's culture. So thank you. Now it's time for the round table. My guests have sent me four statements each. I'm going to go with statement number one for Greg, which I've just put in the chat so everybody could see it. I'm going to read the statement because it was just one sentence, one nice long packed sentence. I like those. I call the meat on the bone sentences, Greg. And then I'm going to ask Greg to spend about two to three minutes unpacking it, as I say on the news. And then we will invite Hope Bailey to chime in with her agree or disagree. Don't be afraid to disagree. Hope he's he's a nice guy, and then <laughs> Cyrus, you get to de- agree or disagree with Greg and or with Hope, and she she's going to be okay with that too. And then we'll go back to Greg for comments, and I'll read a statement from Hope next to go around the table, and then Cyrus. So here's statement number one: Greg says all digital transformation must begin and end with what the business needs and is trying to do. For without tight alignment to the business, any HR or technology efforts will fail. Handwriting's on the wall there. Greg, talk to me. What do you think? <laughs> it's a little dramatic statement, but um, in all the organizations, pretty much all the organizations I've worked with, um, very rarely do I find business leaders initiating transformation. They have other things to worry about and to focus on, and they're not coming into the office every day saying, oh, I think we need to use technology or human resources to transform our business. That just doesn't happen. Most of the transformations I've been involved with are initiated by either IT or human resources. And I think, you know, what's critical to the statement is that earlier uh, in the process versus later, HR, IT, whoever is driving and coming up with the transformation strategy has to look at what's the business trying to do, because if not, that's going to be a failure. You know, if you look at the different stakeholders around an organization, you know, whether a, a, an organization's primary business goal is organic growth, for instance, which has huge recruiting implications, um, whether it's global expansion, which has all kinds of, you know, core HR, data compliance, works councils, data privacy issues, um, whether it's getting new products to market quicker, which may have performance and compensation incentive um, implications, Whatever we're talking about from an HR IT perspective, it has to be tied to growth, M&A, new products, whatever the business is trying to do. Um, Because at the end of the day, if the business is not successful in what they're trying to achieve, uh, you don't really need HR or IT or transformation. So it constantly has to be brought back to why should the business care about this? Thank you, Greg. It was on the edge of provocative. I like that. Very strong. That's Hope That's good. Hope Bailey, agree or disagree? You're up. So I think what you shared, Greg, is definitely provocative, but I agree with a caveat. It can't just be what the business needs. It also has to be what the employees need. As we move forward and propel organizations along their growth path, um, an engaged and empowered employee base is critical. And if we're not able to bring them along, and if that um, drive isn't going to create the change that the people of an organization need to drive the right work experiences, you're going to receive more than just natural resistance to change. You're going to receive the added resistance of not seeing the fit, not seeing the puzzle pieces come together to drive true positive systemic change within the organization. But I wholeheartedly agree when transformation isn't tied to the broader business goals, you're dead from step one. I think you just need that tied to what the people need as well for 
true change to be successful. Interesting. Let's go to Cyrus Salazar. Join me, Cyrus. What do you think? Yeah, of course. Um, so I definitely uh, believe and understand what Greg's uh, position is. I, I do agree. Uh, I think HR's challenge, even from the beginning, is really trying to impose change. But HR is seen as a back-end operation, right? It's really any change that HR um, uh, recommends, or it's hard to provide a return on investment on HR changes, but like uh, not similar to like an IT, right? Where you can quickly quantify what it means in terms of cost savings. Um, the, the, the point that uh, I hope is saying is also true where the uh, engagement of employees are important but I think the challenge there is even before you get there is really going into the board as an HR executive and making um, um, a change statement that says, this is what we need from an organizational perspective. So engaging the employee, definitely, yes. But to get there is really making HR part of the seat of the executive a team to actually say, this is the change that we need from an organizational perspective. Thank you, Cyrus. Interesting. Greg, you sparked quite a conversation around the table. I was impressed with the input. Greg, you want to comment back to Hope and or Cyrus? Go ahead. Yeah, very briefly. I agree with everything that's been said. Uh, I do think uh, to build on uh, what both Cyrus and Hope said, you know, I do think as you, for any transformation, as you look at the different stakeholders or the different personas involved, uh, which includes, you know, executive leadership, management, uh, HR, IT, certainly the employees, um, to use a, a very old term, you know, each of those is going to have different whiffums, what's in it for me. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that's, with any transformation, you do sort of have to recognize what's in it for employees, what's in it for managers, what's in it for Europe, what's in it for the non-exempt workforce, whoever the different stakeholders are, uh, coming up with those WIFMs uh, and benefits, and then to Cyrus's point, figuring out what to do with change management culture, how to make it happen, um, is a big is a big effort. So I've, yeah. I've never heard WIFMs. I like that. I was thinking of the WIFM poofers, the Capella no, 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 Group no. at Yale. I did just uh, I go way back. Sorry about that. Let's move on. Thank you, Greg. That was a great conversation starter. Hope I'm looking at your statement number three, which I put in the chat for you. And you say this is interesting. I'm just going to read uh, the first half. Organizations with inclusive cultures are twice as likely to meet or exceed financial targets three times more likely to be high-performing, six times more likely to be innovative and agile, and eight times more likely to achieve better business outcomes. All right, I'll read the next sentence. So why aren't organizations doing more to promote culture? Hope Bailey, talk to us. This is good. Well, thanks, Bonnie. From my perspective, when we look out at the world around us, and this ties back to what we were just talking about uh, with Greg's point of view, Organizations that include their employees in an inclusive manner, meaning not just those who think like I do or went to the same schools I did or have the exact same background I do, they, getting back to my quote, right, they bring new ways of thinking, new ways of working. They can see through what's going on around them to find the red thread and identify root cause 
and new places to challenge. Um, and the, it's not comfortable, right? Think mm-hmm. about it. As I think at the beginning of my HR career, when I worked on the talent management side, right, it was all about uh, we were starting, you know, all these personality tests so we could find people that fit our culture. When we should really be looking for people who are different and can bring new and different voices. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is a passion area for me, isn't just about having a balance of male and females and and different ethnicities. It's about a whole different way of thinking. And when we are empowered to promote that within, it, it requires us to think different and to embrace things that are wholly uncomfortable. And when we do that, we can use technology to to really drive success because all of a sudden, these ideas that are different, how can you empower them? How can you automate those things? How can you use machine learning to find people who think differently to work on a project team or use different tools to surface the candidates you would have never looked for because you're always recruiting at Yale because you're familiar with them? Mm -hmm. How do you really challenge yourself to do different because that creates enormous value, not just in how you bring in different perspectives, but through the openness you create in your environment by having people recognize that saying yes isn't the most valued. Being aligned isn't the most valued. Doesn't mean we don't want consensus or to create clarity around a direction, but that it's right to to really take it about a bit before we decide on where we're going and invite in different opinions to make sure that as we want to modernize ourselves and change the way we work, we really thought it out, right? Because from my perspective, HR isn't a back off function anymore. Sure, paying people might be, but how we challenge ourselves to put the best people in front of our customers, how we challenge ourselves to get the most creative customer service representatives so that they'll solve that real customer problem in real time versus handing it off six times those require people who think and act differently. Very interesting. Talk about provocative. And it sounds to me, Hope, as though the leadership needs to think in an agile frame of mind to accept and value differences, different opinions, to give people a chance to speak their mind, to encourage that, and to be strong enough to say, it's not about me, the leader, and my ego or the mandate I wrote, or the job description I put out. It's about let's hear people think together. Very interesting. Cyrus, love to get your thoughts. Sorry to chime in there, but you moved me with that statement, Hope. So go ahead. I'm the 3.5th panelist, by the way. Cyrus, go ahead. Join me, please. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with Hope there. Um, Exclusiveness is part of the, the new um, way organization think as well, right? So it's no different than when I think around attracting and retaining talent, um, uh, being, being a, a DNI type of an organization um, becomes important. So I still believe, for instance, that um, when uh, candidates or employees look for an organization, a compensation remains to be a, a criteria for candidates, right? But at the same time, they look for the organizational values, right? You hear, I interview a lot. I hear candidates saying, hey, um, what is the culture of the organization? And the organization is responding, right? They're, they're looking at how they emphasize DNI, diversity, inclusion, 
um, and being able to actually look at different types of um, um, uh, candidates to actually make their organization a little bit more um, equity, uh, have equity around women, um, LGBT, and having trying to figure out how they can raise the um, the uh, diversity in let's say boardrooms and and things like that. Um, and I don't. I remember not too long ago, a leading um, uh, beverage company actually uh, shut down their stores actually to to deliver DNI training for their uh, employees because there was an incident where uh, one store actually uh, had a DNI uh, incident. Um, so. I, I definitely believe in uh, folks um, thinking around just in- inclusiveness uh, in organization. Thank you, Cyrus. We've got one on the agree side there. Let's see what Greg Zelke has to say. Greg, you're up. <laughs> yeah, totally agree with everything that's been said. Um, I do have um, something for you to think about. I heard someone say this throughout, I don't know, the middle of last year, and it has stuck with me. If a CHRO walked into the CEO's office two years ago and said, we need our entire workforce to work from home or 80% of our workforce or 50% of our workforce to work remotely, and oh, by the way, we need to do that within a month, um, they would have been laughed out of the office or fired Mm -hmm. or sent to the EAP. That was unheard of. Um, obviously it's happened and it's happened for most organizations very successfully. And if you think most of the strategies the past year on what to do, they weren't barked out from one or two people at the top. They didn't know what to do because they'd not confronted this before. So they've reached out to their workforce and different constituents, which is all about what Hope's saying. It's all about inclusion and getting input from lots of people it certainly does have a DEI perspective and a filter included, um, but it's even broader than that. So I totally agree that, and I think organizations have learned uh, how to reach out and be more inclusive um, this past 12 months. Thank you very much. Interesting, the time frame you mentioned, if, if somebody had said, we're going to do this in a month, yes, or in three weeks or in, in five days, it would have been, what? Hope, this was your provocative statement. Why don't you just add a quick note here to back to, uh, to Cyrus and Greg, and then we'll move on. Hope, go ahead. I think what Greg just mentioned speaks really tightly to the transformation HR as a function has gone through. Because when I started in HR, it was, we were a back off function. It was this. And so it took people who wanted to change the frame. And Greg's right. A lot of concepts around change have still been fantastically unpopular in the boardroom. But I think as we as a, a global society have been forced to change and now opens the door for us to truly change. And so this means being open and finding ways to be inclusive because what people are finding at home is, Oh my God, how much more effective is everyone? Now I had a job where I was always on the road and not in an office, but I talked to folks who used to commute and they're like, no idea. Not only can I balance my family now, but I now have two extra hours a day to work and that's quality work time. And so in all of this, there's a, there is a balance. And I think inclusion is the key for our success. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hope. That was a good around the table. And let's go to another good one. Cyrus, I'm looking at your statement number three. 
Let's, this is part of what I talked about in my opening, top talent. You say attracting and retaining top talent continues to be an issue that HR organizations are addressing. Employees are looking at more than just professional development. Equally important is the alignment with their social values. We talked about alignment with the business goals, their social values with the organization. A cha- challenge is attracting, where, figuring out where to source and retaining candidates and looking at the organizational values. That sounds like a lot going on. Cyrus, please unpack this for us. Yeah, of course, Bonnie. Thanks. Um, so attracting and retaining talent has been an uh, old um, problem for HR organizations and it hasn't changed, right? Um, so as employees are looking for more than just professional development, they're also looking for um, what the organizational values are. Um, there's been discussions around the uh, social, socially responsible organizations, right? Um, and this, is, this topic is no different than, uh, not much different than what we also talked about earlier. So a challenge is attracting talent. The question of where you actually get the talent mm-hmm. um, has been uh, a problem. Uh, we've seen, for instance, in utilities where, you know, um, the the age of the uh, workers are, are um, um, we, we need to uh, adopt from, let's say, um, uh, an organization that's been using um, uh sorry, um, fossil fuel now into nuclear, into mm-hmm. smart grids, right? So up, upscaling those types of skill set, um, where are you going to get the new the new resources or the, the source of your employees? Uh, and then shortlisting your candidates, trying to figure out, okay, after you get a whole slew of candidates, how do you shortlist them? Um, at the same time, once you get them, we talk about, again, challenges on how you retain them. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, compensation is definitely a criteria for candidates. But at the same time, they're looking at organizations and say, hey, do you actually um, value diversity? Um, a lot of organizations right now are looking to see how they can actually um, get their social uh, values up and in public to, uh, to the candidates. Um, there's been a lot of um, reviews also going on that says, for instance, hey, is this the best place for working mothers, right? So things mm-hmm. like this are very evident in the industry because the organizations are recognizing that candidates are just not looking for, for jobs. They're looking for values that aligns with their own uh, perspectives. Thank you very much. Very important point. And we were blaming this on the millennials, weren't we, about five years ago, Hope and Greg <laughs> and Cyrus? Oh, those millennials, look at them. They always want this. Are we saving the planet? Are we doing CSR? What are we doing? And now it's it's broad. It's culture-wide. Everybody wants to align with values. The customers buying your products, using your services, the employees coming to your company, will they stay? Are they aligned? It's It's all over. Shareholders, stakeholders, inside and outside. Greg Selke. You are sitting virtually next to Mr. Cyrus Salazar. I'd love to get your thoughts on what he said. Go ahead, Greg. I get love what he said. And to add a couple of thoughts, by now, <clears throat> most people have probably heard the term moments that matter. And I, I am a, a firm believer that, you know, when employees join organizations, um, over the years, the employee value proposition has changed. It has to continue to evolve. And I think uh, even more so, again, the past year or two. But when you think back, when everyone thinks back through their career, what are the moments that matter to you? Is it 
you know, how did my organization help me or manage when my parents got older or got sick, when I had a baby, when I got married, when I went through a divorce, when I had health issues, or when my kids went through issues? You know, those affect not just our personal lives, but our work lives. And when we walk in through the doors, virtual or otherwise, to our employer, how the organization um, manages those situations? Is it, you know, just the policy says, no, we can't do that. Thank you very much. And that's it. Uh, Or are they truly trying to find solutions to help people? And I think that's a huge part uh, and will continue moving forward and should continue moving forward. Uh, if organizations want to find and keep um, all kinds of talent, including the best talent. Thank you. Interesting. If only all talent were top talent. Wouldn't that be nice if all talent were top talent? Look at our company. Everybody is a top talent. Everybody deserves to be here. Everybody's contributing. We're listening. We're applauding. We're encouraging. We're coaching. We're mentoring. Hope, join us here on this one. Go ahead. It's interesting what you just said, Bonnie, right? Because if I flip that, We focus so much on rating and ranking versus finding the optimal place for people to contribute, right? How often square peg round hole happens and we look to dismiss versus find a way for the voice to be included, which I find interesting. You started us with a a reference to a Gartner study. And Mm -hmm. as Cyrus spoke earlier, it made me think about a Forrester report. And I, I believe it came out in about the last year. And it was all about the business of belonging, right? Mm. The fact that the majority of Fortune 500 firms have things like employee resource groups, but for a long time, we weren't making progress with them um, in achieving our diversity objectives, but now we are. And we are because it's become really apparent the business benefit to companies when people feel like they belong. It goes back to what Cyrus said about attract and retain, right? Right. To Cyrus's point, I, I want to see that you have the same values, that, that we share the same ethical and moral obligations to the world we live in who want to come to you. But more importantly, for me to stay, which is critical to the success of the firm, I have to know that the value of belonging here, you know, brings that innovation, that connection to customers, the the it ties into my overall engagement, whether or not I feel like I am here. And if I belong and I, if I remember the statistic correctly, it's something like more than a 50% increase in job performance when an employee truly feels like they belong. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Hope. Very interesting. Cyrus, this was your, let me go back to gallery view here. Cyrus, this was your statement. Anything you want to say back to your two co-panelists? No, I think uh, it's very clear that um, they also see the uh, the importance of values in organization, um, mm-hmm. not just to engage employees, but actually to help retain them, right? So I think it's uh, definitely very prevalent in our industry right now. Thank you very much. And we have time for one more statement. And I found, Cyrus, I'm going to call on you. I'm not going to pick on you. I'm going to call on you again. Your statement number four was, we haven't covered this yet. And I think it's interesting. Let me put it in the chat so everybody can see it. And I'm going to read it. And Cyrus, we're going to go with this. Cyrus says, with the propagation of remote work, organizations are rethinking how physical space is used and how their teams are organized. Definitions of teams are changing. For example, shared service progresses, listen up everybody, from local to global to virtual and digital. 
Cyrus, I think this is a very quotable moment, although you've all been very quotable. But Cyrus, what, what are you, uh, we're almost out of time, but I want to squeeze this one in because it's different. So Cyrus, you take about two minutes and then we'll quickly get comments from Greg and Hope on this one. Go ahead, Cyrus. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So uh, what I've seen uh, recently as well is really the acceleration of organization and how they look at their workforce, right? So um, there's this term now that emerged that says the definition of the essential worker, right? And that seemed to indicate to our organizations who from our workforce needs to go to work and who can actually potentially work uh, work remotely. So um, an example is uh, um, I've had a client where they actually deem, for instance, the payroll organization as an essential worker. So these uh, group of individuals actually went to work um, in spite of COVID. But at the same token, this organization has actually looked at their IT organization and the CIO said, you know, my IT workers are actually thriving working remotely. Um, Why do I need to bring them back to work? Mm -hmm. So he's uh, looked at uh, now the physical space of their uh, organizations as more of a team building facility, more than not just a, not a day-to-day type of um, environment for the, uh, for the organization. So I think the, organizations right now really looking at trying to see or adopting to this new, call it new norm, right? Where they will look at this, not just today, but into the future on how they can actually work in this new norm efficiently and uh, cost effective. So, Thank you. Really good point. Let's quickly go around. Greg Selke, what do you think? Uh, Love it. Um, I do think, you know, I, I think about, Culture, it just comes back to culture for me again. And Mm -hmm. culture is about how organizations do things and the values and the guardrails. And, you know, if you think about the different sort of subcultures that organizations have, um, everything's different now. I think we've, the past years, again, I think shown us how capable humans are for change and organizations as well, because we've gone through tremendous change and done it very well. And, you know, whether your culture is about customer intimacy, you know, I haven't been in front of a customer of ours in a year, um, but it's different, but the relationships are still there. If you're, you know, in an R&D environment, you're talking about research and development. Um, the way you innovate is very different if you're not in the lab every day. So we've all had to adjust to different ways of doing things. Um, and again, I think we'll come out uh, much better uh, in the end. And who knew, right? Who knew we would come out better? And who who could possibly have known a year ago that this would would reap some benefits for all of us? Hope, love to get your quick thoughts on this. And then I'm giving a heads up to everybody. We're going to do a 60-second round of predictions on where this is all heading. Hope Bailey, talk to me about Cyrus's comment. Go ahead. I think what Cyrus shared was really interesting. As I think about how teams change, it's not just um, the work teams. Frankly, it, this last year has allowed me to help propel my own team into more of an agile work model to enable their success. But I also see the need for us to rethink shared spaces because people still crave coming together. In, in my own organization on a call less than a week ago, someone asked me the very direct question, when will we be back in person? I miss interacting with people. And so while everyone might not flock back to the offices to work a nine to five, I do think we have to 
as it becomes safe in our world, find ways to bring people back together to sponsor creativity and innovation, um, like Greg was highlighting that happens in, in all of our spaces, it, as much as it does in the areas where we're researching and developing the future of how we work. Thank you very much. Cyrus, that was a good one. You've all prepared such interesting statements. I appreciate it. Let's go around the table. Let's see if you can contain your predictions on our topic into 60 seconds. And remember, our topic is HR transformation. Modernize HR. Prepare for next. I also have to do a shout out to Kim Leslie at SAP for helping with this abstract. Appreciate that. Kim, if you're listening. Okay, Greg, 60 seconds. What do you see in the crystal ball? Go ahead. I have three predictions for the future, and I'll do each in 20 seconds or less. Counting, counting what I just said. I think um, organizations will have new and wonderful and creative employee value propositions, as I mentioned earlier, for um, what it's like to work at their organization. Two, uh, I think um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is here to stay, rightly so, and will impact huge change in business. And lastly, I will go back to my dead poet society quote. I think the past year, Organizations have been forced most of the time to get up on the desk and look at things from a different perspective, and they will be much more prepared if and when they ever have to do a massive change, um, hopefully not this massive, uh, but if they do have to change in the future. Those Thank are my you. predictions. Life lessons, and you did it in 60 seconds. Bigger than HR. This was for life. Hope Bailey, you're up. 60 seconds. What do you predict? So I love sports. About a year ago, in this space of, I don't know, 10 days or so, I went to see my beloved Knicks play and then the New York Rangers. And then was in Lisbon, Portugal for, for work and, and saw Benfica before the world shut down. And I'm super grateful my son had that experience. But if you're a New York sports fan, you know, loving the Knicks is a labor of love. <laughs> this year, with no fans in the stadium and just putting in the work to transform their team, at halfway through the season, they have as many wins as they did at, at the end of last year. I predict we're seeing a total franchise turnaround. Woohoo! And the Knicks will see the playoffs and potentially a championship in the next one to three years. Uh, now, if this prediction turns into the kiss of death, no one tell my dad I made it, number one. But number two, I think this is the same for many of the organizations we work with. By Greg, to quote you, standing on the desk and looking behind us, it's forced us all to change. We all continue to think differently and more inclusively. I think we're going to see a lot of businesses completely change how they operate. We're going to see much more success in the in the business world, but also in our employees' personal worlds. Thank you, Hope. Cyrus Salazar. Sir, you are next. Predict, please. Go ahead. All right. I have two predictions. First one mm-hmm. is around HR. Um, with the uh, advent of the new norm in terms of how we work, um, I predict that the physical space, especially in metropolitan um, uh, cities, will end up becoming more like a mixed-use space, right? Where maybe the top portion of the uh, um, building is more for uh, residential, and the lower part of the building is more for commercial and uh, business use. Because I don't think the, the current norm or the norm prior to the COVID where everyone really goes to the office, uh, will continue. That's my prediction. Now, yep. in, the, in the sports world, uh, being a Laker fan, um, they won the uh, championship last year uh, 
in, in spite of COVID. I predict that they will not have the home court advantage this year, but they will win the championship again. <laughs> Thank you very much. Two of you went out on a limb. Greg, I have to offer you equal time. You have a sports you want to predict, a sports team? Uh, I'm in Chicago, so I'll predict the Cubs will win the World Series again. Just saying. There you go. And I, I will predict that the three of you will be very satisfied with your appearance here on Think Tank today because you've been wonderful. I have learned a lot from all three of you. I appreciate all the preparation you put into your, I want to say performance. It was, it was great. I love the sports predictions. Hope you really rock that one. I got to tell you. Thank you all. Uh, no, you thought leadership came through beautifully from all three of you and it was a great topic. So thank you to Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP and Lisa Chalmers and uh, Jamee Bebe Bebe at uh, PwC for bringing us Cyrus. Thank you so much. And Kim Leslie for working on the abstract. And I'm just going to say, be safe, be smart, be savvy. Don't take off that mask too soon. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.